Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? We're in a series called This is How I Fight My Battles. And today I'm talking about the mind, the mind. Now it's going to be a double dip Sunday. I'm going to preach for about 20 minutes and then we're going to have a second part of this. That's going to be a little bit different. Are you okay with that? Okay, let's get into the text. Romans 8, Romans 8, here we go. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Everybody say mind. We're talking about the mind today, here we go. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Stop. Romans 8. If you got theologians in the room right now, and they were all talking around a table, and they were just nerding out like, hey, what's your favorite book? Uh, well, I don't know. What's your favorite book? Uh, I don't know. What's your favorite book? All would be like, Romans. Like, theologians love Romans. And then they'd be like, what's your favorite chapter in Romans? They would say Roman, Romans 8. Like, for some reason, when you talk to theologians, they love this chapter because it just takes the simplicity uh, of the gospel and really unpacks what it did for you and did for I. And where it all starts, life and death starts in your mind. The life you desire starts in your mind. There is a battle going on in your mind. Sorry to make fun of theologians and give them a little bit, but you guys get it, okay? Um, you're like, hey, I'm a theologian. I don't sound like that. Okay, anyways. Um, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of the Christ, uh, of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Stop. There is this, you know, beautiful Romans 7 where, you know, Paul is saying, everything I want to do, I don't do. And everything I do, do, I don't want to do. And he's just talking about this wrestling war. And then he goes into Romans 8 because chapters were added, you know, in 1400 uh, AD by um, uh, um, some, like, I think, like uh, French um, uh, theologian. So, so, like, Paul was just writing a letter. He didn't go, like, chapter 7, done. Chapter 8, like, all this is connected. Time out. Like, <coughs> this is my mustache. Makes me sneeze more. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Terrible decision, terrible decision. Um, but the, the, the Romans 8 is showing this, this, this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Now, I gotta, um, can, I, can I just teach for a second on this part and then we're gonna get in the message, okay? Uh, so, so the word flesh in Romans 8 uh, is the word uh, sarks. Now, we know, uh, if you've ever been here, that, that the Greek, had, the Greek uh, language had many words for different English words. So we have, you know, four words of love for um, our one word of love, you know, agape, eros, phileo, and storge. All those are different, you know, family, brotherly, uh, erotic, and then, of course, like agape is unconditional love. Well, when it comes to flesh, there was different uh, ones for flesh. Like, so, so there's like storky, storko, storks, and stork. And the translation of flesh here, uh, theologian and scholars say a, a better word for flesh would be ego. That, that, that the one who's ruled by their ego leads to death. Like, 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 like and, 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 and what ego would be like me, my, I, and mine. Like those who are, are self-centered. And, and a theologian put it this way, that the, the type, this type of flesh that wants to rule you is, uh, if it could be described and have some adjectives, it would be self-will, self-doubt, self-glory, self-gratification, self-sufficiency, and self-centeredness. 
And so, so the flesh is very self, 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 me, mine, 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 I. So, so it's saying this is at war uh, with, you, uh, with you trying to hold you back from your promises. But it says when the spirit of God moves in, uh, Jesus' will will start to actually uh, take precedence. Jesus' glory, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' strength, and then a Jesus-centered life. It's all about Jesus. So really what it's trying to show you, there's this picture that uh, before you knew Jesus, it was just your flesh living in this house. And then Jesus moved in, uh, aka the Holy Spirit moves in, and now there's conflict because like, who's gonna be in charge of the house and who's gonna be in charge of designing the house, demoing the house, and designing the house? Let, let, me, let me give you an illustration of what I'm trying to say. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, mid-20s, um, I was uh, a bachelor. I had a one-bedroom apartment in Burbank, California, uh, batching it up. Anybody from Burbank, any shout-outs to my SoCal people? What's up, what's up, what's up? Uh, I was right off of 3rd and Verdugo. Okay, anyways, uh, right there in downtown. Well, if you would have came over to my apartment, uh, I'm going to tell myself real quick, um, uh, you would have judged me so much. Like, I'm talking, like, you think my mustache is bad? Just buckle up, okay? Um, so, uh, my apartment was this little one bedroom. The couch, basically, you'd walk in. The couch was right here. TV, uh, a futon. Um, I, you know, was making you know barely anything, but I bought myself a 60-inch TV because you gotta have a big TV when you're a youth pastor uh, for your PlayStation 3. Come on now, Call of Duty. What? Um, back in the day, different life. Anyways, uh, but then right behind my couch was this itty bitty kitchen. It just had a floor and a kitchen. It was kind of like it was like a rec room turned into a one-bedroom apartment. I got a killer deal on it as a youth pastor uh, when I was a youth pastor. And then my bedroom was right here. So. I would sit on the couch, and me and my buddies, we would watch movies, play games, and uh, when we were done, like, with a pizza or a soda, I would just take the soda can, and I'd just toss it behind me, behind the couch, onto the floor, okay? And so, months would go by, and then in the kitchen, if you walked around the couch, it was just pizza boxes and just soda cans just on the ground everywhere. And then I have a trash can, i just like, done, They're like, what do I do with this? I'm like, toss it. And my buddy's like, man, I love Tyler's house, you know what I'm saying? So, so we toss it, so just garbage just in the kitchen, on the ground, all over the place, okay? Um, another thing that was weird about me when I was a bachelor by myself is when Rachel and I started dating, she came over one time and uh, she opened up my cupboards, you know, and I didn't have any dishes. Um, I only had throwaway dishes, but what I had in my cupboards was just mail stacked up top to bottom. Just, you know, like, uh, you know, advertisement ads, bills, all those kind of things, and junk mail. And she's like, why is your cupboard? I mean, I like literally like hoarders, like one-on-one. Like I, I, I couldn't throw away any mail for some reason. Like I might need this one day. So I put it in the cupboard and then one cupboard fill up, then the next cupboard fill up. And so when Rachel and I started dating, like, Literally, my whole cupboards are just full of junk mail, every single one. Yeah, that's scary, yeah? You judge me? Okay, 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 let me, can I, can I go one more? Let me just do one. Now, I should not share this on a Sunday. This is my lowest moment of my life I'm sharing with you, okay? You're gonna go, that, ew, that's gross, Tyler. Why would you share that? Just bear with me. I believe I need to share this, okay? Um, so uh, I would have buddies crash at my place for the summer, like a guy, you know, I was, you know, youth pastor, so one of like, you know, the Bible school guys I went to Bible college with, you know, it'd be a summer, he didn't want to go home, he wanted to maybe help out with the youth ministry, so I'd let him just crash at my place. And then we always have guys over the house, well, uh, you know, guys would go use the bathroom, and sometimes, again, this is very inappropriate, but I'm sure anyways, uh, they would miss the toilet sometimes uh, when they'd use the bathroom. Oh, what are you doing on a Sunday? Oh, stop judging me, okay? This is the reality of life. Instead of me washing and cleaning the, the, the bathroom, I would just take newspaper and just put it on the ground. <laughs> And so the, yeah, hey, Bachelor Tyler. Uh, like, wow, this guy's got problems. Bear with me. We're going somewhere. So I remember Rachel came over and she was in the bathroom. She's like, why is there newspaper on the ground? She was like, just disgusted, gross, almost lost her at that moment, probably. Don't worry, I locked it up, everybody. Now, 
you can judge me. If you would have came my, if you would have saw me at church on Sunday, I've been looking like this, all dapper and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Showered, hair done. You know, like. But you would have walked in my house. You'd be like, that guy has got problems. His cupboards, his kitchen, and his bathroom are just weird and disgusting. If I walked into your mind and you let me walk around a little bit, and the garbage that I would find, the things that you have just stored away, all the gutter and all the clutter, and the. You think, you think it's bad that, that, I, that I covered up people missing the toilet, toilet, uh, toilet paper and newspaper? What have you covered up in your brain that needs to be taken care of? Some of the grossest things, and you just put something right over the top of it, you think that's going to take care of it? And the reality is, is that the Lord said that when the Spirit moves in, the Spirit's like, "Woo! we don't live like this. Spirit's like, oh, we got conflict. I cleaned the bathroom. I put dishes in the cupboard. I put garbage in the garbage. I get it. Some of you are still looking at me. I get it. I'm Tyler. I'm disgusting. I don't know how to use trash cans. I'm Tyler. I use newspaper to clean up floors. I'm dis- I get it. I'm disgusting, okay? But when the Spirit walks in your life, it doesn't judge you. It says, oh, let me, just, let, me just, let me do what I do. Let me clean how I clean. Let me organize the way I want to organize. And what I want to do today is I just want to look for the next 15 minutes. And when the Spirit moves into your life, He's going to get rid of all the garbage, clean up all the mess, all the things that you were hiding that you just didn't know how to deal with. You make them brand new again. If you would allow the spirit to actually have governing rule over your mind. We bury your heads with me. Lord, we thank you. God, we give you uh, today. And Lord, I pray for the one in the house right now that just, oh, they want, they want, they want to have peace. They want to have their mind governed by your spirit and not by their flesh anymore. So God, we just simply say, would you do a miracle today? May we renew minds today. May you make the captives free one more Sunday again. Lord, we need you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. Everybody said, let's keep going. If you came over to my house today, bathroom's fine. It's cleaned all the time. I actually swift at the bottom and we Clorox and we do all that kind of stuff. I'm a new man. Uh, when you get married, it changes things. Okay, here we go. Um, a uh, couple things. Uh, there's three points I'm gonna look at. We're gonna make them quick. Uh, when the Holy Spirit moves in, the Holy Spirit wants to demo some things in your mind. The Holy Spirit wants to decorate, redesign some things in your mind, and then wants to debate with your mind. Okay, we're gonna look at three three D's today. If I give it that way, I try to make sure that they all they all uh, rhyme. So so demo demolish. Um, anybody watch like Fixer Upper? Oh, come on. It's so good, right? Joanne Chibigain's like, like Rachel and I, we were looking for our first house to buy. We were watching HGTV, all those channels, whatever, whatever channels are on. Um, we're just in a, um, Flipper Flop got us a lot too, for some reason. Like, like I didn't really like the people like Tarek, whatever the chick's name was. Uh, sorry, not, I said chick from the platform. I'm in so much trouble. The gal, Christina. It's the mustache. I'm just dangerous right now. Um, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. Um, He's got a mind of his own. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I can't believe I said chick from the platform. Forgive me. Uh, okay, Rachel is going to talk to me later. Okay, here we go. Um, so bad. Okay, fixer upper, flipper flop, you know all of them. Uh, Property Brothers. Um, Rachel and I started falling in love with it. And when we bought our house, uh, we were like, oh, I'll just, I'm basically, I'll be Chip. You be Joanna. I'll knock out walls. And like, we literally bought a house. We were, we were going to start working on it two days outside of like, like you know, like, like basically signing the paper. So we had two days and we we're going to start demoing and building it. And Rachel and I had asked nobody to help us. I'd hired nobody besides somebody to paint some walls. 
And I literally thought I could do it because I watched TV shows. And I remember like two days before, my heart was just racing and racing. Okay, I want, I want you to catch this real quick. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive of every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That word governor, uh, the word uh, stronghold, uh, another word would be governor or limiter. So, so what, what it's saying is that in your mind, from a childhood experience, from the way that you think people see you, from the way that you see yourself, from the way that you talk to yourself or somebody's talked to you, it has created strongholds in your mind that limit the way that you see how God could use you and use the Bay Area and use others. It's a limiter. And so if you've ever driven a golf car, a cart, they put a governor, a limiter on it so you can't drive fast. So like you'll hit the pedal of the metal, like bam, pedal of the metal. And it's like, you're like, golly, I hate this. You want to go fast, but it just won't go fast. Well, what happens a lot when you have a stronghold in your life is you want to get to somewhere in your life, joy, peace, all those kind of things. But then you try to hit the pedal to the metal and it's like, I just, it's too slow. I'm never going to get there in this kind of uh, pace because there's a governor and a limiter on your life. Another way a limiter would be is it just simply be a lid on your life. It would just be something that just keeps holding you back over and over again. And these are spiritual strongholds that have seeped into your life through sin, through somebody hurting you, through somebody wounding you. And so what do you do about that? Like what happened? Let me, let me, let me put it this way. Um, have you ever met somebody and they're always angry? They're always worried. They're always stressed out. Like, like, how you doing? Oh, oh, this week. Oh, oh they're always just always, oh, just, it's just another week. Like, and there's just always something just spinning in their life. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to highlight some of our staff members. Where's Shane Russell at? Is Shane Russell in the house? Shane's not in the house. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> oh, there he is. He poked his head. Look at him. Hey, everybody. <laughs> if you've ever hung out with Shane or you work with Shane, Shane is always happy. He's, he's, he's sunshine Shane. He's just always happy. Like, so if I were going to fill in the blank, Shane is always, it would be happy. Uh, another staff member we have is Lisa Bowler. Lisa Bowler in the house? Lisa Bowler left. Lisa is always encouraging people. She's just like, like, it doesn't matter, like, like, like whatever it is, she's always looking around. She's always looking to build people up. Like, that's just the way that God built her, you know? One of my mentors, um, he's, he's uh, uh, um, uh, a pastor for a great church, but, but whenever I hang out with him, he's just always the most positive guy. Like, we'll be playing golf, and he'll hit, like, the two worst shots, and he'll be like, you know what I'm good at? What? Consistently being bad. I'm like, how do you live that way, man? You know, he's just like a happy guy. Like, if I hit two shots, I'm chucking. He's seen me literally chuck a club before. Um, I don't have that yet on my life, you know? Um, but if, if, if I could ask the five people around you that know you, and I would say, blank is always what? What are they? Are they joyful? Are they positive? Are they faith-filled? Are they building up? Or are they always, just, just always, 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 always? Or are you that? Because what, what this is saying in 2 Corinthians is the reason why you're always stressed out, sad, worried, or whatever it is, is because there is a limiter in your life not allowing you to enjoy the, the things of God and the peace of God. Because you cannot live a positive life with a negative mind. You cannot live a, a life of victory with, uh, when you have a life of defeat in your brain. 
You cannot live a life of peace when your, li- your brain's full of stress and worry. Bottom line, this thing needs to have somebody come in and demolish some walls that got put up a long time ago. And so what, what the Bible's saying is that we have been given uh, power and authority. The Holy Spirit moves in and says, I want to knock down some things. You know, that, you know that rhythm, that wall of worry and stress? That wasn't put up by God. And, and so when, when the Holy Spirit moves in, he goes, oh, I just, you know, I'm into open floor plans. And there's just too many walls in here right now. And so like, a, like, a, like the great Holy Spirit would do, it comes into your life and just starts knocking things out. But the reality is, is that it says, if you are governed by the Holy Spirit, how, do you, how does the Holy Spirit govern your life? And I'm going to give you the most simple biblical principle that everybody in this house needs, and it's Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The Greek word repent literally means, uh, is metaneo, which means to change your mind. He's saying, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is now here. Uh, there, there's, uh, I, got, I got the privilege in 2019 to go to Italy uh, and see the statue of David. Woo! If you've ever seen it, 16 feet high, it is perfection. And they asked David, you know, like how he did it. And he said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the excess material. And, and what the Holy Spirit is saying is, oh, the masterpiece is, the, could you imagine, can you imagine, the, the, you know, walking up to a, a house that's like a fixer-upper? And, and, and the, the person who's fixing it up, they, they, they look at it and they're like, oh, this thing's going to be looking good. And you're like, I don't see what you see. Or the Holy Spirit's like, oh, if you could see the way I design. If you could just see, I could, I'm going to move this. I'm going to move this. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to add this. Oh, I got a masterpiece in front of me. It's already there. I just got to get rid of a few of these things and these things. And if you would allow the Holy Spirit to start talking to you that way and shaping you that way, whoo, what could happen to your life? So the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do when it moves in, it wants to demolish some strongholds. What do you need to repent of? Some of you just, I'll just do it. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think about yourself is who you are. So the first thing you need to uh, demo is, and I'm going to kind of hop to decorate design because what, what the enemy wants to demo and, and, and really uh, get rid of is lies and I think a lot of a clutter in your life. And uh, can I hop to decorate and design? I'm going to do it. Okay. Because uh, these two were too interconnected for me to do them separately. So, so when he's demoing, he's demoing because he has uh, an intention to put something else there, something else beautiful there. And so Romans 12, 2, I read this last week uh, when we talked about the Babylon battle. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. So the copy uh, of the behavior and customs, I talked about it being like a pressing, like cookie cutter. Don't let the world press, you know, the default of how the world wants you to look. Uh, it says this, by changing the way you think. You read the Bible, God is all about transforming your mind, okay? Uh, this isn't a self-help talk. This is a spiritual, biblical principle. If you want to change your life, you got to change the way you think. Uh, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So bottom line, there's two ways you're going to live your life for the rest of your life. You're going to live your life by design, the way God designed you to live your life, or you're going to live your life by default. And the world's way is default. And can we just say, if the world was a stock market, it would look like this. Who would buy the stock of the world? Like the average person that is living by default right now in the world is, I'm just going to say it. They're divorced, they're porn addicted, they're substance abuse addicted, and they're lonely as ever, and they're depressed as ever. The stats of, if, if you were an investor and you saw what was happening just with the average person in America right now, who would go, I want that stock? Because that's what it means to live by default from this world. But if you live by design, 
Well, get around some people who got saved their life and transformed their life. Look to what's happening to their life. The only reason I am the way I am today is because of Jesus. I come from a family of alcoholics, addicts, everybody, every single animal, divorce, 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 uh, substance abuse, addiction, you name it. All of my uncles, I'm going to just be oversharing this morning. My mom's the oldest of four brothers. All of them have passed away before the age of 55. Substance abuse and suicide. My mom's the only one. You know the difference between my mom and all the brothers? My mom got saved. I'm telling you, if you will live by default, it will lead you to death. But if you live by design, it will lead to life. Because those who govern by the spirit are leading to life. But those who are governed by the flesh, it leads to death. I'm not trying to minimize something that happened in my life, but I've seen it with my own eyes. The world's way is death. I feel like I yelled at you. Forgive me. Um, Tyler, I'm right here. You don't got to yell. Um, it's the mustache. I'm just you know I was going to say it. You know I was going to say it. Okay, so, so, so here, here's what the uh, Holy Spirit wants to do. So uh, Holy Spirit walks in your, in your mind. And if you had like a bunch of art up, the, the reality is, is that uh, the Bible says there's strongholds. And one of the biggest strongholds uh, that are in our life are just uh, lies. Because lies don't have to be true to be powerful. Uh, they just have to be bought into. And, and so if you knew, the, the, you know, the, we see the word devil in the Bible. Well, that comes to the Greek word diablos, which literally means slanderer. And the spirit of, 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 of the devil is simply this, to create self-hatred. So, so you look throughout and you study it. The, the devil creates self-hatred. The Holy Spirit creates hatred of sin. So, 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 so there's, a, there's a healthy hatred, and then there's an unhealthy hatred. And so what happens is, is when the Holy Spirit uh, comes in your life, it's like, man, you've you got a lot of things you hate about yourself. You've got a lot of things that you've bought into yourself, and, and you've bought into a lot of lies that aren't true about you. Here are some ways that we identify ourselves. I am what I feel. Holy Spirit, like, take that down. Anybody, that you are not what you feel. You're not, that, that, is, that is not who you are. Another one is, uh, I am what people say about me. My whole life, like, that'd be like the Holy Spirit's like, don't take that, take that lie down. Another one that desire would say is, I am what I've done. No, no, you are not what you are. Just because you made mistakes doesn't mean you are a mistake. Don't take that one down. Uh, I am what I do. No, 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 it's not what you like. Like you find your identity, not what you do. So, so you're always trying to put up new art to show what you are in your brain. And those are lies from the enemy. But the Holy Spirit creates hatred of sin and lover of God. And then when you're a lover of God, it creates a new value in your life. Uh, let, me, let me show you the, the bad cycle of when you... Um, uh, when you try to make it, I am what I do. I got a little fun video. I'm going to set this up. These two kids uh, were um, uh, at a 76ers game, and one started dancing, and the other one saw the other one dancing, so they got into a dance battle across the, um, the, the, the stadium uh, on the Jumbotron, seeing who could be the best dancer. It was about two minutes long. I'm going to show you 30 seconds. Check it out. So he's all you want, you want, you want a battle, we'll battle. Those two kids met each other, and they're now buddies, and they're actually not going to come to games and do dances. It's actually really adorable. Um, but I thought it was like this little micro kind of kind of moment in life where, where these two kids come, and they started dancing for fun just for the Jumbotron, and then they see somebody else dancing. And then what motivates their dance is, I got to be better than you. And then the other person, I got to be better than you, because whoever does better gets the limelight of the Jumbotron on themselves. 
It's fun when it goes on for two minutes, but what happens if that's your whole life and your life turns into a dance competition because you've bought into the lie that you are what you do. What an exhausting life to live that would lead to death. But if you allow the spirit to govern your, your, your life, you don't dance for the world. You live for one and you live to please one and there's life in it. Can I get an amen for that? So the, the, one of the first things that enemy, the enemy is going to try to do is he's going to try to design your life with a bunch of lies. The Holy Spirit moves in and tears them down and starts putting truth up. Yeah. And so I just want to, I want to show you some decorations and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll finish. Uh, so uh, uh, Romans 8, I was going to read this. So there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It, it's just saying hey, hey, there's no hatred of self anymore when you find Jesus. There's peace. It goes on to say, and because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now, now, now you hate the thing that was destroying you, and you're following with the one that saved you. It's, just, it's a beautiful picture. Um, I, uh, I almost didn't plant Mission Church, I don't know, 1,500 times. Um, Rachel and I, like we had so many times, if you saw us throughout that journey, where we would literally crumble on the ground in our duplex of how stressed out we were about planting Mission Church. There was this moment when I was uh, watching the movie Dunkirk uh, with a couple that was going to plant the church with us. And we had about 20-something people with us. And I, it was a two-and-a-half-hour movie. I still haven't seen a scene of it because I just sat there. And I thought about all of the bad things people ever said about me in ministry. He talks too fast. He, 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 he's, uh, he's not serious enough. You're too young to plant a church. Oh, plant, you're planting a church in uh, Walnut Creek? That's a really hard area to plant a church. Like, I mean, and, and I don't want to share all of them because they really upset me. So uh, there are, I'm out. It's none of your business. But anyways, you know, it was, it was and none of your business, you know. But I remember just listening to all these lies. And the thing that has transformed my life this last year, has transformed my life this last year. I've enjoyed ministry, the most I've ever enjoyed ministry the last eight months ever is I've allowed the Holy Spirit to decorate my brain with a handful of things that I say to myself every Sunday now. You want to know what I say to myself? I, I do it. I walk through that door. I do it. Every, I do it every Sunday. I mean, I'm going to let you in on, on a little bit what I do. So, so I go greet and I'll walk in the door. I lay walk in. I say this, I'm anointed. I'm gifted. I'm called. I'm your vessel. God, I'm your donkey. You can use me today. You're like, Tyler, that is so arrogant. That's what Bible says about me. That's what's in my, the, the Holy Spirit designed my brain. And when I walk around my brain, I see I'm anointed. I see I'm called. It says, hey, if you're gifted to speak, speak as if Jesus is speaking himself. But the enemy wants to shut you up and make you feel less than and ill-equipped. And the reality is, is I let the Holy Spirit decorate my brain. The best he's ever decorated my brain. And I said, Holy Spirit, I, I want to I see myself the way you see me. Not the way the world sees me. You got to start seeing yourself the way the Lord sees you. And it's not an arrogant thing. It's a he designed a masterpiece thing. You are his masterpiece, the apple of his eye. I get it. I got my own proclivities and messed up. But when it comes to my calling, I love the way Paul starts every letter. I am Paul, called by God, graced by God. Let me start my letter now. Do you start your day that way? You should. Rachel's going to be speaking with me in just a second. And she asked me yesterday, she goes, how do you do this every Sunday? I said, I don't know. <laughs> kind of, it's true. I said, it's hard every week. Every week it's hard. Every week I question myself. And the only difference that happened from my previous 19 years this year is just, I know God called me. 
I know he needed me, and I know his word does not return void. And it's not about self-glorification, it's about Jesus' glorification. So I know every Sunday is going to be a grand slam. It's transformed my life. So you got to let, let the Holy Spirit decorate. And the last thing you got to let him do is, you just got to get, get, have him get rid of all the old stuff. All the old stuff. You know, I, you heard me? I literally had stuff in the cupboard of just mail everywhere. That's a lot of clutter. And, and some of you, can I be honest? A lot of you are reliving and a lot of you are pre-living, but not enough of you are living. And so you're reliving old baggage. You're pre-living things that haven't happened you're worried about. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, to worry about today. Like live for today. And so in your brain, if the Lord walked in and opened up the cupboards, he'd be like, why is all this past junk in here? Do you not know my word? Psalm 103 says this. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He took them out of your brain and tossed them in a dump so far away you can't go get them and put them back in the cupboard. And the pre-living stuff. How arrogant of us to try to control the future and think that we know how to navigate the future. Enjoy today and trust your author. So the Holy Spirit would come in and decorate. He would take things out. He would add things. And last but not least, um, simply this, is the Holy Spirit would debate with you. The Holy Spirit would debate with you. I, um, I was going to read you uh, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, read it when you get home. Uh, this is about the decorating part. I just love what it says. It talks about the laws and the word of God. He says, uh, he says this to the, the God's people. He goes, um, commit your heart, uh, your, yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Verse 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're uh, at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, your whole house needs to be decorated with Scripture. With Scripture. Like this, this, this and Scripture, when you have Scripture in your house, you're going you to know you're called, you know you're gifted, you know you're renewed, you know you have hope for tomorrow. Uh, the reality is this, if, when you see Jesus' ministry, uh, have you ever seen Jesus stressed out in any of the Gospels? Ah! How's it going? Ah! Ah! Like that, you don't see that. Like, like you see the disciples, Jesus, storm, storm, ah! Jesus, ah! Jesus is like, Peace. And the waves became glass. A lot of you want a blessed life, but you don't want to live a blessed lifestyle. A lot of you want a peace, but you don't want to live a peaceful lifestyle because bottom line, your brain does not have scripture everywhere. It's got worry and Instagram and everything else everywhere. The Bible, back to the Bible project, uh, studied 400,000 people. And they, they found this study. Three out of seven days, if you read your Bible, does nothing to you really. Doesn't help you or hurt you at all. But for some reason, if you start reading your Bible four uh, or more times a week, it starts to change your brain and your atmosphere. There were some stats that they shared. I want to read them to you real quick. Uh, so the Back to Bible Project showed this, that if you read your Bible four or more times a week, not three, but some about the majority of your week, a.k.a. the majority of the artwork in your brain is Scripture. Okay? It shows this, that if you read your Bible four more times, you are 228% more, uh, more likely to share your faith. You become a hope-filled person. You start sharing hopeful things with people instead of negative things. So that, I thought that was fascinating. Next one this. You're, I mean, these ones, you're like, well, I don't know if that's so good. No, this is a great thing for you. Those who read the Bible four or more times are 400% more likely to memorize the scripture. Finally have the right kind of stuff in your brain. These other two, ready? They're 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness and depression. 30%. Next one, 59% less likely to view pornography. There's a ton of them. I don't have time to read all of them. But basically, when you go four or more times, it transforms your brain and your life. 
this, uh, I'll, I'll get, so that's, that's from a, a Bible uh, article and study, but let me give you one from Forbes from a woman named uh, Jay. She's an empowerment psychologist specializing in neuroscience and mental health. Uh, so she's a neuroscience, mental health doctor, PhD person. Uh, and she wrote for um, Forbes, uh, why you should stop checking your phone in the morning. Uh, so your, your brain has theta waves, delta waves. That's all I know about brain. Don't ask me anymore else, okay? Uh, basically, when you wake up, your brain has a different kind of wave where it's a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more um, uh, susceptible to getting stressed out. And so uh, she recommends you should meditate. And she goes, that's the best thing you can do for your brain, to meditate on good things. Like, you know, it, was, it was a secular article, so it's not given biblical. But she's trying to take biblical principles and try to still steal them a little bit and add them to worldly things. And so, so what does it look like to live a blessed life and have a blessed lifestyle? Psalm 1, blessed are the ones who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the ways of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Can I just tell you quick? Read this verse with me. Blessed are the one who does not walk into Instagram or stand in the way of Instagram or stand in the way and sit in the company of the mockers on Instagram. Like, like just, 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 just read, like, where would you sit? Where would you dwell in that area? That's all social media. Blessed are the ones who just don't make this their dwelling place. And, but, but the reality is you wake up, you grab your phone, and the theta waves, literally stress, worry, judgmentalism. I mean, you, you are just putting paintings on your brain that are bad. But it says this, but those who delight, delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in each season. The person who actually grabs their Bible and goes biblical before they go digital, watch what their life and their mind looks like. Can I get an amen for that? And last but not least, uh, not only does the Holy Spirit come in and decorate a debate, but then the Holy Spirit just wants to live in the house with you. So it's like, you know, wake up, good morning, it's me, Holy Spirit. You know, like, and the Holy Spirit has got, got joy, hope. I mean, again, I read the fruit of the Spirit. And, and it's, I love this verse. It says this in 1 Peter 1. So prepare your minds for action, exercise self-control, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when uh, Christ Jesus is revealed to you in the world. So that word prepare means to um, debate, let Scripture debate with your mind. It's what, and I, if you heard me preach on um, um, uh, the mind, I've only preached one other time in the last five years. It's about a year and a half ago. And this is my favorite thing that I caught from it, from this, this word, the Greek word, prepare. It, it wants to debate with you. And it wants to debate scripture with you. And what that looks like is simply this, is that when you start getting um, worry-filled, allow the Holy Spirit to debate with you and to, to win the debate over worry. When you start losing hope, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and say, hey, today's gonna be a great day because I know the author and the finisher. And if you let the Holy Spirit debate scripture with you, uh, you're going to lose the debate every time before you leave the house. So the, 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 the word prepare debate, another way to say like, uh, let it get you ready to roll up your sleeves and fight for the day. It's preparing you because today is going to be a fight. Can I read you some real quick? Uh, I, I, I love it. I've got to read some studies. Duke University had a study about just people who are positive and hopeful. And here's what they wrote. People at Duke University found that people are optimistic, hopeful. The, doc, the doctor goes in and out using the word hope and optimism throughout the, the, the study. Um, they find out this. People work harder. They get paid more. When uh, sports, uh, sports more regularly, get elected to office more. And often, here's another crazy one, they, they live longer than other people. Again, there is life and death in the brain. I mean, I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that was fascinating. A.K.A. people who allow the Holy Spirit to debate with them and they leave the house with joy, peace, and hope, it changes their life and it changes how they're going to be used that day. Before you leave the house, allow the Holy Spirit to debate with you and the Holy Spirit will win every time. And when you lose to the Holy Spirit, you win. Can I get amen for that? I want to pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you so much. God, I pray right now for every mind in this house. God, would you renew them? Would you restore them? Oh, God, we need you, we need you, we need you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And everybody said?
So here's what we're going to do. Um, we got about 15 more minutes. And uh, what I would love to do is uh, bring up somebody I really respect, um, admire. I was going to keep it a secret who it was, but then I let it, the cat out of the bag early. I couldn't help myself. Um, uh, I have worked in ministry for my whole life. Besides, you know, YMCA when I was going to college and Milgard Windows, that was about it. But that was like, like when I was like 18. But, uh, oh, McDonald's, shout out to McDonald's in high school. Um, but the last 20 years, when I go to work, like I start my work week on Tuesdays with worship and prayer with people. And then like we talk about the celebrations of Sunday. Like, so my, like, my week does not look like a normal person's week because most of you are not working full time at a church. You're, you're actually around people that just you know, live in the Bay Area and are working in the Bay Area. And so I don't have experience working in you know, the, the, the corporate world. I went to Bible college. Uh, Rachel went to UCLA. Um, uh, my childhood was vastly different. So one of the things that I want to do is I asked Rachel, like, Rachel, would you, um, you know, share a little bit of your story of the battles you've been through? Um, and, you know, I, so I talked to her and Sharon for about 15, 20 minutes on, on those things. And I got a handful of things I want to ask her. Uh, there's nobody I admire and respect more in how they navigate their life than my wife. And so I'm so excited for you to learn from her. Rachel Johnson, get up here. Come on. That was such a sweet introduction. I almost okay. forgot it was me coming up. Like, who is this guest speaker? You're like, anybody? <laughs> Got to have the Holy Spirit decorate. You are tall. You are anointed. Um, I'm going to put this down. Also, um, you should be very happy because most of what we're going to talk about today happened before we met. Okay. So I don't have any embarrassing stories to share about you like you share about me pretty much every week. What? <laughs> For the record, I always get the green light. He does. He yeah, always yeah, asks. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, always yeah. asks. But... Um, you know, I did a, a share about the bathroom thing today, so I think we're good for the quota yeah, today. Okay. I think okay. We're good. Um, okay, so one of the things I wanted to ask you today and have you share with everybody um, was I remember you and I talking about our college experiences, how different they were. Mm. Uh, you're at UCLA, and you're bombarded with different ideologies, uh, different ways of thinking. I'm going to Bible college, and I'm learning how to exegete scripture <laughs> and taking tests on Greek stuff. That's all I have to worry about. Uh, what was it like battling, um, let me use this word, the battle of doubt? Because really what the world wants to do is have you doubt your faith. Uh, what was it like for you? Yeah, so unlike Tyler, I grew up in church. I was dedicated as a baby, just like we dedicate babies today. I raised my hand at four years old, and I said yes to Jesus. And I remember the exact spot in church where that happened. I got baptized at 13, and I honestly believe that when I raised my hand and I said yes to Jesus, I meant it and it counted. But I would have seasons as I grew up in my teenage years and my young adult years where I just had crippling doubt, like crippling doubt. Uh, like I'd be in seasons and I would just have huge faith and I'd be all in and then the next week I'd be in church and I would be like, these people are crazy. Like, <laughs> what am I doing here? And, you know, instead of inviting somebody into my journey, I, I, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't, I thought my questions and, and, and my doubts, I thought they were really taboo. And I really foolishly didn't tell anybody about them. And I should have because I had such loving people around me who would have helped me um, answer these questions. But I just kept them inside. So against this backdrop... I go off to UCLA for four years, and I am now introduced to all of these ideologies and worldviews and religions and things that I'd just never been exposed to growing up. And honestly, you know, I learned about atheism and Buddhism, and, and on face value, at surface level, like, some of these ideas are actually pretty attractive, and they kind of make sense. And I remember um, having this really dramatic friend, and uh, I'll never forget it. She said, I read Nietzsche. 
and I laid in bed for two weeks just processing the futility of life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I had no anchor in my faith, and so I really, like, was blown about by these ideas, and I just remember going, like, wow, like, maybe life is futile, and maybe I am an atheist, you know? So I kind of kept going into my young adult years, and then, as it often does, tragedy struck my life in my mid-20s, and I lost somebody who I, I loved deeply, a family member, and it was a long, painful process, and it was the first time in my life that I was actually at the end of my rope, and I was really desperate, and I had all these, like, philosophies swirling around in my head, but I had no anchor, and because I had no anchor, I had no hope, and it was the first time in my life that I knew I needed to lean in, and I actually needed to to find out what truth was, and I needed to either be all in with Jesus, or I needed to move on from what was maybe the fairy tale of my childhood and actually go out and find whatever truth was, because I knew that truth was going to be the only thing that was going to get me through this pain and this grief that I was dealing with in my heart. So I realized in that season that I had just had lazy doubt my whole life. Like, I had all these existential questions rolling around in my head, but, like, life was kind of comfortable and okay, so I never really dove in and actually got to the end of these questions and answered them. So I set out to study and to learn, and I read every book that I could get my hand on, and I reasoned, and I prayed, and I begged God, please reveal yourself to me if you're real. Like, I, I, you're the only thing that's going to get me through this. And after about a year, I found Jesus, and I found him in a big way. And I encountered his presence, yes, but I also reasoned my way towards God. Jesus being the way and the truth and the life, when I actually dug into my questions, like, this was the most logical thing for me. There's this quote uh, by C.S. Lewis, and it totally encompasses my year journey, which I, I wish I could share with you everything that I learned, but I encourage you, if you have lazy doubt, lean in, ask questions. This quote encompasses so much of my journey that year. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sunrise, not just because I can see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And that to me fully encompasses my journey. Please, if you have lazy doubt, ask questions, dive in, study, read. I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Reason for God by Tim Keller. These are a couple of amazing books to help you on your journey. Um, if you can topple 2,000 years of Christianity with your questions, do it. Ask these questions, lean in. Dive deep, but just don't have lazy doubt. And, uh, you know, as, as soon as I was sure of my faith, it changed everything about my Christianity, too. I was kind of like a lazy, apathetic Christian. And once I was assured of my faith, oh, my goodness, I, I leaned in. I wanted to know God. I wanted to know what he said about me. I wanted to obey him. It changed everything about my life. Life and death was on the line. And I had to know him more, and I had to know what he wanted from me. And uh, to this day, you know, it, it led me to this point where now I'm an ordained minister, which if you had asked me that when I was in college, I would have laughed at you if you had told me that that was going to be, you know, my story. But that how I got there is a, a different story for a different day. That's so good. That's so good. Um, something else I, I wanted to ask you, we were talking about this week was, uh, you know, we met uh, in our later 20s, uh, 27, and you just came out of uh, one of the harder seasons of your life. Uh, you had lost uh, a family member that was basically like a second dad to you. And I remember you just sharing that journey of how you got through grief. And I think there's people in the house today, they would, they would love maybe you can give them some handles, some tools um, on how you battled the grief. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I just mentioned this story of my family member passing away. And um, it was a really long, slow, really nightmarish process. And one of the things that I kept struggling with in that season 
um, is just the God I know would not allow this to happen. The God I know would just not allow this to happen, and yet it happened. And so I, di- I didn't know where to move forward from there. So I remember I was sitting in church one day, and it was like clear as a bell. I, I had an impression. It wasn't an audible voice, but it, it might as well have been for how clearly it was imprinted on my heart and in my head. I heard these words, maybe you don't know me as well as you thought you did. And it honestly wasn't what I wanted to hear in that moment because it wasn't warm and fuzzy, but it was what I needed to hear. And I had this revelation that I kind of had this like Sunday school idea of Jesus that I'd learned from other people, from other pastors, and I didn't really know God. So again, this was at the beginning of the journey I just talked about before, but I set out to know God, to know Jesus for myself, not through other people's words and I read this book, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. I highly recommend it. But in place of this Sunday school idea of Jesus, I met this fierce, loving God. I met a friend. I met a mediator. I met a king who left his throne to come and rescue me. I met this God who was fiercely angry at what sin and death, the havoc that it had wreaked in my life. He grieved with me. He was with me. I met a man in Jesus who grieved and wept when his friends died. I met a man who grieved when people closest to him betrayed him. I met a man, Jesus, who was in the garden and he prayed for the cup to get taken away. And the cup wasn't taken away, but he still prayed. So if Jesus can pray when the answer is no, I can still pray when the answer is no. So I, I, I met this God, I met this man who literally had gone through every inch of suffering known to humanity, and he didn't just endure, but he modeled how to walk through these moments with grace and with humility and with compassion and with strength. And not only did he model, but then he laid down his life to break the curse of sin and death in my life. I learned that, you know, this moment of suffering that I was living in, this grief that felt so all-encompassing, it was like this much pain and loss on a journey that's this long in eternity. Eternity. I learned that by spending time in Jesus. So when, when we encourage you into this lifestyle of prayer and worship and meditation and reading the word and repeat, you know, I think sometimes those things can become a little hollow sounding um, when they're repeated so often. But really what we're encouraging you to do is to step into these moments where you can encounter this God, this God who will gently and lovingly walk you through your grief walk you through your suffering, walk you through your day. You're going to hear and learn his voice in those moments. You're going to hear his heart for you. Get to know this God. If you're suffering, if you're grieving, scripture says he's close to the brokenhearted. Scripture says he saves the crushed in spirit. Scripture says he weeps with you. And this is your God and get to know him. I love that. I love that. Come on. This next two, I was really excited to ask you. Um, I didn't work in corporate world. And so I, I, I'll preach on Sunday. Hey, go, go, go reach the world. Go love people. And then people actually have to go to the corporate world and <laughs> love people who are unlovable and, and get their job done and still, you know, be a minister of Jesus. And so what was it like, the, the battle of, you know, being in the corporate world and, and still trying to bring light into dark places? Um, what was it like? Yeah, so I mean, I never walked up to a coworker and was like, hello, I am a follower of Jesus and here's how you should live, you know. Um, that would be, didn't? I didn't, okay, okay, that was okay. so, that would be so weird. Um, but you know, over the course of like seven, eight years of working at Sony, I worked alongside people in a really significant way. I built friendships. I 
behaved ethically. I was a trustworthy coworker. I was a dedicated employee. And over the course of like eight years, I had all of these opportunities with people I really loved who really loved me. I had all these opportunities to tell people and to show people that everything that is good in my life, truly, everything that's good in my life is because of Jesus. My marriage, my relationships, my mental health, everything is good because of Jesus. And I remember, um, you know, sitting with one of my coworkers, we had sort of a late night, we had a deadline to hit. And, um, you know, it's kind of those after work hours where everybody's tired, where we would have heavier conversations. And I remember a coworker who was living a very different lifestyle from mine. We both really loved and trusted each other. I remember this person sharing that um, they had never experienced love the way that Tyler loved me. And they didn't think that on their current path that they ever would. And in that moment, I got to point to Jesus and say, my relationship with Tyler isn't great because Tyler and I are so great. Our relationship is great because Jesus is great. Because Jesus, the one we serve, our Savior, showed us how to love and then actually empowered us to love each other. I, I remember another time I was uh, sitting with a coworker and he was just venting about just this escalating situation with his boss. And she would say something provocative, and then he would say something provocative, and then they'd fight, and it would escalate. And it was just this really tension-filled experience that he was having, and he didn't know how to get out of it, and he was just venting. And I remember sharing with him once, I was like, hey, I thought, you know, it kind of seemed kind of almost too simple and too intuitive. But I said, hey, have you ever thought, and this is crazy, but have you ever thought about maybe when she escalates, that maybe you don't escalate back? Like, maybe you kind of turn the other cheek? You know, I didn't say that, but I kind of said it in as many words. And I thought he was going to kind of look at me and go, yeah, of course, I tried that. It worked. But he looked at me, like, with wonder, and he goes, that might work. <laughs> and he came to me the next week, and he was like, Rachel, you won't believe it. I did what you said, and it worked. Like, she, literally, she was mean to me. I wasn't mean back. It disarmed her. And then we had this great talk about our relationship and our working relationship, and, like, we're better than ever. And that was a really important moment for me because I realized, like, Jesus' ways work. <laughs> And we need to be confident in that and share that. And, you know, as we're hopefully becoming more like Jesus over time, that's the goal, right? Like, as the fruit of the Spirit is developing in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things are attractive and they're tastes of heaven. And these fruit and uh, these principles, they point to a person, and his name is Jesus. And so over the course of years, I had opportunities as my friendships developed, to talk about and point to Jesus. So good, so good. Last question, last question. Uh, this answer Rachel's going to give you uh, is one of the lifelines that really transformed me during the COVID journey. Uh, I just love, I love this revelation God gave you. Uh, so it's no secret that we are pastoring in the Bay Area, uh, one of the hardest places to pastor. Um, it just feels like when you're starting to take back ground or things happen, the, the barrier, man, it can, it can just push some buttons. So, so what's it like? Could you help um, our church today uh, and just share this great pearl I remember you sharing with me about just what, what it's like battling in the bay yeah. for Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So this was, um, it was the first year of the pandemic, and I was walking on the Iron Horse Trail, and it was one of those days where I was just super frustrated. I think I had read some article about, some crisis in the Bay that was being handled in some way that I just thought was ludicrous. And, you know, I had people texting me about it and I was getting super worked up and frustrated. Like, did anybody else have any moments of frustration <laughs> with where we live, like a little bit over the pandemic? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of an understatement. And so I was just having one of these like really discouraging moments and I was walking on the Iron Horse Trail. And if you ever walked on the Iron Horse Trail, there's like 
there's these memorial benches every like hundred feet or so, and they have these little plaques dedicated to the person who bought them. And I just stumbled on one this day, and I know it was the Lord, but it literally said the person's name so loved the East Bay. And it hit me like a lightning bolt that this person who I'd never met, who I don't know if they were a believer or not, they had a more Christ-like love for this region than I did, a pastor who was called to plant a church in this region. And I literally, like that day, it was, it was one of those marking moments for me. I just repented, and I asked the Lord, like, please, God, like, I don't have this so love but would you give me this so love? Like, would you give me this so love? And he did. Like, I love the Bay Area, you guys. We're not leaving. We're not going anywhere. We are called to it. I love it. It's like such a privilege we that we get to. We almost got tats after this moment. We almost We're got like, tats. 925, so love. Yeah. yeah. We didn't, but yeah. I thought about it. I don't have a tat, but if I did get one, I'm probably not going to. But if I did, it would be something related to California. But, um, yeah, I, I believe that God is raising up people in our church, an army of people who so love this area. And when you so love something, you act different. You pray differently. You commit differently. You endure differently. You lean in differently. You sacrifice differently. When you so love something, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So he so loved us. We get to so love this region. And I truly believe that that is going to lead to this revival that we've all been praying for. Not our judgment, not our condemnation, but our so love for this region. Golly, I think we should end with that. Will you pray that we have the so love? Come on, pray over us. Oh, Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is um, to get to gather on a Sunday, to get to lift your name on high, to worship you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this incredible group of people who have gathered, Lord, to do these things. Lord, I pray right now for a so love. Lord, where we have um, been frustrated or where we have had, like, understandably critical thoughts about this area where we live, Lord, I pray that you'd replace that with a deep so love. Lord Jesus, I pray we would begin to see things the way you see them, I pray we'd begin to hear things with your ears, that we would touch people with your hands. Lord, I pray that we would have your heart, that we would have thought patterns that are not our own, but that are kingdom thought patterns, Lord, as we spend time in your presence. Lord, would you just do a new thing in this season in our church, Lord, as we spend time with you? Would you just awaken love and passion for this region, Lord God, and even give us a blueprint for how we are supposed to love and how we are supposed to reach out, Lord, and touch people in this area in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray that you would bless our church, Lord. I pray you would bless every person here. Would you strengthen them? Lord, I pray that um, throughout this week even that as they're going about their day they would have so many moments of just feeling a desire to get away and spend time with you Lord Jesus I pray that their friendship with you God would go from glory to glory to glory in this next season Lord Jesus we love you so much we give you our lives we give you our church we lift your name on high you're so worthy of all the praise that we can bring you in Jesus name we pray amen you got a double dip today you got a message and an interview today come on now Can't have you leave without giving somebody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Can't, can't, can't have, it, have that happen. Will you bow your heads? I want to just ask a simple question, and then I'll uh, let Mike T. dismiss you with a couple announcements. If you're in the room today, and it could have been even during worship when we were singing All Hail King Jesus, and maybe you've wandered and you came back today, but just something tugged in your heart, and you want to say yes to Jesus today, yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. I really believe the Holy Spirit can illuminate one thing that you'll see and it will change your life forever and you realize that you need Jesus. So if that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus today on the count of three, raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you and I see you and I see you and I see you. I'm glad we did this. Okay, come on. I see you and I see you. Come on now. 
God, we thank you. We thank you for the, the number of hands that said yes to you today. God, we love you. God, we want to be used by you. We thank you so much. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.